Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Oh my goodness, look who's standing out in the rain getting soaking wet with a, uh, a hawk quill in his hand and dipping into his ink uh, little bucket or whatever they called those things. Here's Dr. History. Good morning, Zab. How what, are you doing this morning? What did they call those ink wells or what did they yeah, call them? Inkwell, I think. Yeah, okay. But that was before my time. Yeah, right. Uh huh, sure. <laughs> What's going on with you this morning? Well, I got a good old story. You know, we haven't talked about a good old outlaw, shoot 'em up, chase 'em type story for a while. So I'm going to tell you a little story about that. Just the all-American boy stories. Yeah, yeah. This, this is a good one. Oh. Okay, I want you to imagine the stars are glittering brightly in the sky above the town of Folsom, New Mexico Territory. Okay, I'm, I'm watching them glitter right now. All right. On the night of August 16th, 1899, the hour is just past 10 o'clock at night. The eastbound train was late. It rolled into the depot to take on coal and water at about 10.20 p.m. Now, while it was stopped, a kind of dark figure slipped up on the blind side of the train. Mm-hmm. The man swung aboard and hid himself in the shadows between the baggage car and the coal car. The train took off a few miles out of town. The train was rolling along, mostly kind of flat landscape, you know, not many mountains, but... The man who had boarded at Folsom climbed onto the coal car and began crawling over the mound of black rocks. As he neared the front of the car, he drew the revolver that he had on his hip, poised himself to leap down into the cab of the locomotive. Now, his gang had broken up, and he was alone. He was about to attempt something that a few others had ever uh, even thought of doing in the Old West, if he could accomplish it. He was going to hold up a train single-handed, now, he was already well-known, but what happened tonight would assure that no one would ever forget the name of Black Jack Ketchum. Oh, my. So, <clears throat> Black Jack Ketchum, that's the guy. Now, he was born, actually, Thomas Ketchum in Texas in about 1863. He was the youngest of three brothers, the oldest of whom became a successful and well-liked horse trader in the area. So, he was a good guy. Now, Tom and the middle brother, Sam, they were cowboys, uneducated, kind of unstable, given to fits of rowdiness, if you want to call it that, troublemaking. Uh, They drifted into a life of crime, but didn't do anything too bad until about 1895, when they and several friends shot to death a local rancher by the name of John Powers. Mm -hmm. Now, Powers' wife had actually paid to have her husband killed. And she got caught. So while she was sent to prison for her part in the crime, Tom and Sam Ketchum, they lit out for New Mexico Territory. So they got away. Now, about this time, the area along on both sides of the borders between New Mexico and Arizona began to be plagued by uh, the lawless activities of a gang known as the Blackjacks. Now, the gang took its name from its leader, a guy named William Blackjack 
Christian. Mm-hmm. Now, how Christian came by that nickname, we really don't know. But for a while, his success as an outlaw was unquestioned. He and his men held up trains, stagecoaches. They robbed banks, post offices, stores. They shouted out with posses and citizens, and no one seemed to be able to catch him. And the task was made even more difficult because the ranchers in the area actually would help Christian and his men escape from the law on several occasions. Now, some of the ranchers no doubt liked and sympathized with the bandit and his crew, uh, and that's why they helped him. And I think others just kind of were afraid of him. Mm-hmm. So they wanted to stay on their good side because, you know, back then you you didn't want to make enemies of somebody that was not a not a good guy. So... But faced with this problem, New Mexico authorities appealed to Washington for help, and so a group of federal marshals arrived in the area, and they teamed up with the local lawmen, private detectives who were hired by the railroads and the banks, and they even got a group or a troop of Mexican soldiers mm-hmm. sent by the Mexican government, because, you see, Christian, they'd been raiding across the border into Mexico, so they were kind of wanted all through that area, New Mexico, Arizona, Mexico. Okay. Now, Christian and his men might not have been guilty of all the outrageous things that they were accused of, but it's possible that some of these crimes were definitely committed by two brothers who uh, were in that area, Tom and Sam Ketchum. Uh-huh. Now, about this time, Tom and Sam started riding with the Blackjack gang. Now, about this time, too, a posse caught up with the bandits near Clifton, Arizona, and it's not known if Tom and Sam were on hand for this fight, but... Uh, it's certain that William Blackjack Christian went down because he was le- uh, filled with enough lead that uh, he assuredly would not get back up. So that was the end of William Blackjack Christian. Okay. Now, so some of the outlaws escaped, but now they didn't have a leader. So good old Tom Ketchum stepped into that spot. Uh, he assumed command of the gang, and he decreed that from there on out he would be known as Blackjack Ketchum. And he did become known far and wide. Now, the gang actually grew in numbers under Tom Ketchum's leadership, and for a while there was even an unofficial partnership with Butch Cassidy uh, and the Sundance Kid. Uh, But, you know, according to the story, Butch himself thought Tom was crazy. He never trusted him. Well, wait a minute, though. You bring up an interesting point. If the first guy that was Black Jack Ketchum got filled full of lead, why would the second guy want to assume the same name and have perhaps the same thing happen to him? He must have been crazy. Now, there was a difference in names. Black Jack Christian, and this guy's Black Black Jack Ketchum, (laughs) which... It really doesn't matter. The gun doesn't know the name. That's right. <laughs> well, anyway, like I say, they hooked up with uh, Butch Cassidy's Wild Bugs for a little while. Butch never did trust him, didn't like him. And anyway, a few members of the Wild Bunch actually continued to ride with Blackjack. So, mm-hmm. But after killing a postmaster who chased after them after a post office robbery, the gang kind of concentrated on trains, holding up several in the New Mexico, Arizona area. Now, none of the robberies proved to be very lucrative. And, in fact, they did kind of a stupid thing following Butch Cassidy's example. Uh, On one occasion, the gang used so much dynamite to blow up the stubborn (laughs) express safe that they pretty much blew the money up (laughs) with it. So I love it. Again, intelligence didn't reign very highly, uh, you know, in this group. All right, but now stop right there, Doctor History. Ye who knows everything, how does one ascertain how much is too much? <laughs> you 
You know, that's a good question. I'm, I'm assuming it's going to be trial and error. We are I'm making fun of people that blew up all the money, but you can't give me the answer as to how much is too much. I know. I don't. I. I don't know. I guess I just figured. You know, if a little is good, a lot is better. <laughs> so, so we didn't get too much out of that deal. You know, just a bunch of shredded uh, paper. But, so July 1899, they returned to New Mexico to hold up the Colorado and Southern train. And they actually, this time, they got away with a pretty good haul, and, and they thought they were safe. And so they made camp one night in a draw. Well, unbeknownst to them, there was a posse led by a U.S. Marshal, and they swooped down on the, on the gang's camp and... There was a pretty good battle going on, and the outlaws scattered. Several of them got seriously wounded. In fact, Sam Ketchum, Tom's brother and longtime partner in crime, was also shot up during the battle, and he was captured. Well, he was sent to prison, but he died from blood poisoning because of the wounds. Mm. So obviously he didn't get too good of medical care. So here we are, Tom Ketchum, he's alone now, and he quickly conceived of a plan to strike back at the forces of law and order. And it would be a bold move, it would be daring, it would show everybody that he was still the one and only Black Jack Ketchum, and still somebody to be reckoned with. Right. So, so again, his idea was simple, hold up a train by himself. So now we go back to the train, okay, so Tom, Black Jack Ketchum, jumped down from the coal car into the locomotive, thrown his, uh, shown his rifle, and he called out to the engineer to stop the train. Well, neither the engineer nor the fireman thought it would be a good idea to argue with a guy who's pointing a rifle at him. So the engineer hit the brakes. Now, Ketchum's plan called for the express and mail cars to be uncoupled from the rear of the train where the passengers and freight cars and all that was behind them. So then he would force the engineer to run that part of the train on down the tracks a mile or two to a spot where, uh, away from the rest of the cars, they would be able to deal with only the engineer and the fireman, and he could loot the express and mail cars, just kind of at his own pleasure and his own leisure. Now, right away, it became apparent that something was wrong. The train had come to a stop on a curve in the tracks. Now, I don't know a lot about uncoupling or coupling train cars, but evidently, if you're on an angle or a curve, uh, it's hard to undo the, uh, the coupling of the train cars. So he couldn't get them undone. Well, while he was trying to figure out what to do next, the door of the mail car opened, and a clerk uh, stuck his head out, trying to see what was going on. Well, Black Jack fired a bullet, and it ripped away this poor guy's jaw. Oh, ouch. Just caught him right in the jaw. Oh, my so, goodness. Now, the train's conductor, who's back further on the train, Frank Harrington, he knew what was happening. He, he'd been on robberies before. So, unknown to catch him, Harrington was making his way along the train with a shotgun. Now, he stepped into the open uh, just a few yards away from Ketchum, leveled the shotgun. Uh, he pulled the triggers, both triggers of the shotgun, and an instant later, that double-barreled shotgun uh, ripped into Ketchum's right arm and just destroyed the elbow. Oh, my goodness. So, now the impact also knocked Ketchum backwards and down the embankment along the roadbed. I mean, uh, you know, you can imagine the force behind a double-barrel shotgun. Well, I don't even want to think about it. Yeah. So, like I say, it not only disarmed him, literally, (laughs) or disalboed him. (laughs) No pun intended there. That's right. But knocked him clear off where the tracks were. Well, Harrington, he hustled the engineer and the fireman back aboard the train ordered the engineer to get the train moving as fast as he could. 
So they take off, catch him, dazed by the pain of his wound and only about half conscious. Uh, he crawled into some brush along the tracks. And that's where he spent the night, uh, drifting in and out of consciousness. Now, his horse was right close by, but he, he didn't even have the strength to go get on his horse. And he knew that the posse would be out searching for him, but that he, there's nothing he could do. He was, you know, he was in bad shape. Now, did he lose his arm at the elbow? Uh, how come he didn't bleed to death? Well, it, it, it didn't actually blow his arm clear off. Oh. <laughs> it was just a, just a flesh wound. <laughs> just, you are hardcore, you know that? <laughs> I know. Well, anyway, early the next morning, you know, he obviously in great pain. Yeah. Ketchum heard a freight train coming along the tracks, and... He found his hat and put it on the end of the rifle, and he waved the hat in the air to signal to the men on the train because he knew they were looking for him. And even then, as they came up towards him, he kind of pointed his gun at him, and they said, hey, you know, we'll just leave you here, you know. Uh, so he finally said, all right. He says, uh, he says, I'm all done. He said, take me in. Well, he was loaded on the train and taken into Folsom to the doctor, and the doctors there knew immediately that they couldn't save his arm, so... They amputated his uh, his right arm. Mm-hmm. Now, New Mexico state law made it a capital offense to hold up a train, though no one had ever been executed for that crime. Uh, when Ketchum stood trial, the prosecuting attorney pressed for a death sentence. Uh huh. Well, so when Ketchum was convicted, that's what he got. Yeah, and I'll tell you something. He couldn't stand at the gallows with both arms tied behind him. <laughs> he couldn't, <laughs> and we're going to get to that. <laughs> that's, the, that's the rest of the story. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> so, more bitter than ever, this now one-armed Ketchum awaited his execution, and so here we are, early on the morning of Friday, April 26, 1901. He's led to the gallows wearing a new black suit. Mm-hmm. Well, fate had one more unusual twist in the store in store for good old Blackjack Ketchum. Now, uh, and here's the quirk here. The lawmen in charge of the execution were inexperienced at these things. Oh, boy. They miscalculated the length of the rope they needed. And to make matters worse, after testing the gallows the night before with a 200-pound sack of sand, they left the sack hanging overnight so that the rope was outstretched uh, or stretched out even more. <laughs> now, Ketchum told his executioners as they fastened the rope around his neck, he told him, he says, I'll be in hell before you guys have breakfast. And then he stood there with the black hood lowered over his head, and they, and this is important, they pinned the vest, uh, the, the sack, the hood, to his vest. Uh-huh. And that's going to come to light here in a minute. I see. Now, there were no fancy gallows with a lever to spring the trap door, so a rope had to be cut in order to drop the prisoner through the opening. Okay. All right, so there's a rope, and here again, you kind of wish you had uh, professionals doing this. You know, you kind of do, don't you? Because I got the feeling that Blackjack might hit the ground to running. (laughs) Yeah, so he he, uh, has his hood over his head, and the hangman took a swing to cut the rope, well, it didn't go with the first swing, uh-huh. and so you can only speculate what the mess, mess had been going on through his mind when he heard the first blow strike, but the trap door didn't open. Well, at any rate, the second stroke of the axe did the trick, and old Ketchum plummeted through the trap door. Now, here's where it gets tricky. <laughs> the extra length of the rope meant that he fell farther than usual, <laughs> almost so far that his feet touched the ground. In fact... Um, so when he finally reached the end, the tightening rope that jerked him, 
Uh, it jerked so hard that instead of cleanly breaking his neck as intended, it uh, tore his head completely off his shoulders. Hmm. <laughs> now, here's where the hood comes in. The hood that was attached to his vest kept the head from falling and rolling away, but it was still, I guess, a pretty grotesque sight to the onlooker, onlookers, and uh, of whom there were many, because, you know, this was quite an occasion in Clayton, New Mexico, and, you know, everybody had turned out, so... All the businesses closed down except for the saloons, and some of the people who witnessed the execution of Black Jack Ketchum, they were undoubtedly grateful for that exception, and after what they had seen, they probably needed a good stiff drink to <laughs> bring him back, back to reality or whatever you want. You know, there wasn't a whole lot left to him to bury. No, 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 they they could have used a shorter casket, I can tell you that. <laughs> It wouldn't have needed a longer one. I, you know, I've actually got a picture in front of me of the gallows and blackjack, and there's four men standing up on the gallows. Uh, it's kind of a blurry picture, but uh, uh, I, I can just see the, the gallows and the whole work right here in a picture. You know, I, and it sounds gruesome as heck, but I can just see the, the group. You know, I'll go get his head, you find his arm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's, that's blackjack catching, but... And I don't know if the town of Ketchum has anything to do with uh, Black Jack. Um, well, well, was he up here in Idaho for a while? Relatives still around, and uh, in fact, I met a guy one day a few years ago whose last name was Ketchum, and yeah. uh, and I said, "Hey, I was just reading about your relative," and and I was just teasing. I thought, "There's no way, you know, this guy is related." And and he looked at me and said, "How did you know about that?" Oh my. <laughs> So and, and this guy was from the good brother. I see. And he didn't he didn't have any rope burns on his neck, did he? No. <laughs> okay. No, he was a good guy. And he had both arms. He had both okay. arms. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but that just goes to show you. Now, you know, in years past, if if you got hung and the rope broke or something, that was considered kind of like God's will that you shouldn't be hung. Mm-hmm. Uh, it didn't happen often, though. No, no. Uh, although I will say, I just finished a book about uh, Captain Kidd, yeah. the old pirate, and when he got hung in London, the rope did break. You know, he fell to the ground, but that didn't matter to the people over there. They just quickly put him back up on the gallows and threw him off. Again. Yeah, somebody yells, redo, redo. Yeah, yeah, they didn't wait around <laughs> to say that it was God's will. They just uh, quickly threw him back up and hung him. You know, one of the, I got to run, but I, I got two things to mention to you. Number one, uh, walking the plank. You ought to do a story sometime on walking the plank because I've always thought in those pirate stories that walking the plank would be a gruesome way to die. I mean, what do they do? They load you up with weights and tie your hands and feet together, and you got to walk out on that plank, and then all of a sudden you're fish food. Well, actually, this book I just finished on Captain Kidd, that was kind of a misnomer. They oh, really? Really, hardly ever, ever do that. Oh, so they just threw you in. They, just, they had other methods, I'll just put it that way, Oh, <laughs> to get your attention. Hey, by the way, why don't you tell everybody about what's going on with dr-history.com? All righty. The website is up and running. We've got probably 12 or 13 stories on there now uh, uh, lately, and uh, you can go on any time, day or night. Go to www.dr-history.com. <laughs> And then the little dash, history.com, and you'll go to our webpage, and you'll be able to click on any of the stories and listen to them again, or listen to some you haven't heard yet. Okay, say it again, Doctor. 
doctor-history.com. Okay, and I'm going to keep uh, plugging that every day on the program, too, and we'll okay. tell everybody to listen. And on your newsletter. All right. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, I promise. Okay. Well, thank you, doctor-history.com, for an excellent right. story this morning. You have a good day, Zeb. God bless you, man. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, I tell you what, I enjoy that segment. Dr. History. And go to that website, dr-history.com, and you can listen to all those old stories that we've had on. Excellent. Excellent. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.